you don't have a good excuse for Sunday school. All right? I don't want to be you when you stand before God, okay? Uh, you're going to stand before God and give an account, and we're doing our best to make uh, Sunday school accessible uh, and relevant and helpful, encouraging, uh, edifying, and uh, also Wednesday. We have two services on Wednesday morning at 11, uh, Wednesday night at 7, and if tiredness is your only excuse for Wednesday night, come Wednesday night. We're all tired, all of us. Uh, we all struggle to stay awake Wednesday night, Wednesday morning, a different crowd, and everybody's wide awake then. Uh, so, but uh, come and join us uh, on Wednesday um, to study God's Word. We're studying the Old Testament uh, on Wednesdays, and as adults, and the teens and young, uh, young people and children have their own classes, and an exciting uh, time for them. You know, we're in Psalm 119. Uh, we were there last week. And we'll be there uh, for the second half of Psalm 119 uh, today. At the end of one of the Gospels, one of the disciples has a desire to go back to his old job. We saw these disciples get called uh, by Christ uh, this morning in our Sunday school time from Matthew chapter 4. And immediately they left their nets and livelihoods and they followed Jesus. After the resurrection, seven of the disciples have this idea, probably led by you-know-who, Peter. And he has this idea, I'm going fishing. So they fish, and we know the story from John 21, that they fish all night and they catch nothing. And it sounds like a previous two stories. Uh, from the life of Peter and his fishing experiences. And Jesus shows up on the shore, tells them to cast their net on the other side, and they catch 153 large fish. How do we know there was 153 large fish? Somebody counted them. If you caught 153 fish any day that you go out fishing, that's a good fishing day. I assume that this is the last time, though, Peter fishes for fish. Jesus asked him three times, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And let's imagine Peter's standing there knee-deep in fish, and he's probably the one who counted the fish. Knowing his personality from the Gospels, he's the one like, wow, these are huge. 105, 100, and he's, he's going to town, and he is, this is the greatest fishing day of his life. And it's the last fishing day of his life, because Jesus rebukes him in a very subtle way with asking Peter of his priorities. It wasn't wrong to fish, but it's likely at that moment Peter struggled with his priorities. He loved something more than Jesus. He loved something more than the mission that Jesus called Peter on and showed Peter how to do the previous three years. And Peter gets busy in the book of Acts. He's the leader there. His priorities are single-focused. Affliction, trials, beatings, imprisonment, the night before he was to probably be beheaded, he is sleeping peacefully. What's changed with Peter? The priority of the Word of God. The priority of the Son of God, who is the Word of God in the flesh. We don't know who wrote Psalm 119, but you'll see the second half of the psalm is filled with affliction is filled with trouble. This is not an easy life that the psalmist has because he is prioritizing God's Word, but it's clearly the best life ever to have God's Word be the priority of your life. We're in Psalm 119. We got down to verse 88, so we're going to start in verse 89. You can watch last week's um, message if you uh, weren't here last week, it's recorded, it's posted on YouTube, and uh, so 
We're going to pick up in Psalm 119.89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. The first section here of the second half here, this will be section 12 of 22. The psalmist is noticing some things. What is he noticing in verse 89? Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. You can spend your time memorizing stats of sports things. And next year, those stats mean really nothing. You can spend your time getting advanced degrees and all these other things of how we spend our time focused and meditating on things day and night. And next year, does it really matter? Does it really matter who won the Super Bowl last year? Not really, because that team is 5-11 and 11 this year. They're a lousy team. No one cares who won the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, if you got a ring and it's in your case at home, yes, you care. But the rest of us, if your team wins the Super Bowl this year, you know how much that changes your life? That much. Your team, most of your teams, and my team have won the Super Bowl the most times, six times. You know how much those six Super Bowl wins have changed my life? Nothing. Zero. Oh, it makes me feel good the next day, the next two days. Bragging rights when you guys caught us. Ah, I lost bragging rights. We're not the only team with six Super Bowls. But you know what? That's not forever. We're probably never going to talk about the NFL in heaven. It's not going to come up. We're going to talk about our vacations in Disney World. We're going to talk about our accomplishments and how many books we've read or written. We're not going to talk about how beautiful our garden was, how fast our cars were, what a perfect family we had. We're not talking about that in heaven. What are we going to be talking about in heaven? The psalmist knows where to focus because the priority of the word has given him focus. Where's he, what is he noticing? He's noticing there are a lot of things that are not forever, but there is something that's forever. God's word is forever, and it's firmly fixed in the heavens. Man can try to destroy it, and in church history, they, had, they tried. They destroyed the people that tried to um, translate the word into um, the language that people could understand. They destroyed their bodies, but they could not destroy the word of God. God's faithfulness endures. You can, you can read through this and notice what the psalmist notice, notices when God's word is your priority. You notice things that are really important. And the things that are less important, eh, I don't really notice. Look at verse 96, how it this kind of bookends this, this section here with something that is forever and then, look at verse 96, I have seen a limit to all perfection. There comes a time when things in life just aren't perfect. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. What he's trying to say is, there is no end to the perfection of God's word. Try to find the end of the perfection of God's word. And I was talking with someone between Sunday school and church and about studying God's Word and how rich Matthew 1 to 5 was, and 45 minutes didn't do it justice. There's so much more there. 
That's how it is every time we read God's Word. Every time I'm going to preach, there's going to be more than what I can say in the time that's allotted to me. And you and I can go home and take God's Word and look at it again and say, whoa, there's so much more. The pastor didn't say all this. I can't say everything. It's exceedingly broad. It is so rich and deep, you never get to the bottom of the well. And what else does the priority of the Word of God do for the psalmist here? It keeps this man steadfast. Look at what he notices. He notices that how the earth is established, how God's Word is forever. Verse 91, by your appointment they stand this day for all things are your servants. Everything is submissive to God in creation. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished. I will, but I will never forget your, your precepts. They've given me life. Here is someone who knows where his life has come from. It's come from God's Word. And as the wicked lion wait to destroy him, he considers God's testimonies. So imagine if you're wicked and you figure out, and you can see this in the life of Christ, how are we going to destroy Jesus was the meditation day and night of many of the people around Jesus. What were godly people thinking, though, at the same time the wicked were, were plotting Jesus' death? Consider God's testimonies. Consider that God wants to use me to testify of Him and His resurrection. How are we going to testify of Jesus? That's the meditation of someone whose priority is the Word of God. Noticing and steadfast. The next section is one of the most popular of how we love God's law and meditate on it day and night. And you will see in the next section the wisdom. You'll see the word understanding a couple times. The wisdom that comes from a life. Now, this is probably where we're following the progression of someone's life. As they interact with God's Word, we saw the, the young person's life in the first 30 or 40 verses of Psalm 119. Now we're seeing a middle-aged and an older man who has walked with God in His Word day and night, meditating on, in, in, uh, on that. And now he's going to teach us a lot about how the benefits of the priority of God's Word and how to have, this, how to have God's Word make a difference in your life all the day. So what do we notice? And I'm going to show you the notes, and then we're going to look at it. Here is someone who's meditating on God's Word, and this is meditating and eating are very, very similar words. If you think of a cow, when someone told me this in college, I have not forgot this. When you see a cow chewing its cud, now we don't have a lot of cows around us, but if you go to a farm and you watch a cow chewing its cud, it chews it, swallows it, burps it back up, chews it some more. Well, it gets every <laughs> nutrient that the cow can get out of grass or hay or whatever it's eating. It's going to get every nutrient out of it because it learned to, and it uses this process of meditating. You're, you're, it's over and over again, mulling truth over and over and over again, looking at it from every different direction and thinking, how does this apply to me? What do I need to confess for, for what does this show me as sinful? i got to confess this. What do I need to do today to make this passage helpful in my life? What am I going to plan for tomorrow because this passage is in, in my Bible reading today? This is how meditation works. And meditation can work as you're sitting at your desk, you're driving in your car, you're sitting at lunch, and you can think about Matthew this week, 6 to 10. And you can... Study it early on in the day and meditate on it throughout the day. And when you meditate on God's Word and you notice things, you will start making wise choices. This is not a proud psalm. And if you look at verse 99, uh, there was a student who had to, they had to decorate their desk. And this student, my dad was a teacher and told me this story, this student had verse 99 on his desk. It's not a, great, not a great verse for a student. This is a great verse for a teacher. 
Okay? So if you're a student, you're like, I love verse 99. You, you, you're, you're not there. Okay? Go back to the first part of the psalm. That's where you need to stay. <laughs> verse 99 is not for you yet. Okay? You're not meditating on God's word, and you're not wise. Okay? You're actually like, acting like a fool. All right. I'll just say that because that was uh, humorous. All right. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged or the elders, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Here is someone who loves something in verse 97 and hates something in verse 104. I love your law. I meditate it on all the day. And then what does he hate at the end of it? False ways. Anything that's contradictory to God's word, God's truth, God's character. In the New Testament, the living word, Jesus. Anything that is not like Jesus is false. Like, ugh, disgusting. What you love and what you hate determine what you meditate on. And also determines how much you understand or you lack understanding. If you want examples of verses 98, 99, and 100 in the New Testament, Jesus as a young boy at age 12 is asking good questions to the teachers. And then Stephen. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, in Acts 6, is confounding the wise, wise people around him with God's truth, contradicting, the teachers were contradicting God's word. Jesus did this often with the scribes and the Pharisees who knew a lot of God's word. They thought they were wise, but they were fools. How do we know? How can we become wise? By meditating and loving God's word and making it your meditation all the day. You have to take every thought captive. You can't let your mind meditate on the wrong things. If you meditate on Fox News, you know what you're going to meditate on day and night? Politics. Do you know how much politics are going to help you day and night? They're going to agitate you. They're going to divide you from other people who disagree with you. They're not going to help you to hate every false way. They're not going to help you to be biblically wise. So limit your consumption of Fox News, talk radio, blogs, social media. We feast on these things. We nibble on God's word and we wonder why we're not wise. The next section he remembers, and he's joyful. When you, what you remember causes you to either grieve or to have joy. If you remember the wrong things and interpret them the wrong way without God and his word, influencing how you think about life, you're not going to end joyful. You're going to end grieving, upset, agitated, anxious, fearful of the wrong things. But when you remember God's Word, and God's Word influences your life, what's going to come out of your life, despite what other people and wicked people around you are doing, they cannot influence, they cannot take away, they cannot diminish your joy. So let's look at verses 105 to 112. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Serious trials here. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. 
Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. What is the psalmist remembering here? The only path that leads to life is the path where God's word is a lamp. Now, you see the word lamp there? Think candle. How much light does a candle give you? Enough for one step. It's a lamp, it's a, it's a candle to your feet, and then how much light does a flashlight or a torch in this day and age, a large torch with a huge flame, then you can see a few steps, right, and not just one step. But if you're in, a, in your house, you don't light a torch to see where to, how to go outside and what to not trip over. You have, today we have night lights, small little lights. But whenever you want to cook or bake or you want to get a splinter out, you don't get it out with a night light. You get the most powerful light you can get so you can see the detail. This is what God's word is for us. And we know verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows us what to avoid. It shows us where the pitfalls are. It shows us where the smooth ground is. And how to step over the anxiety and the pride and the anger. It shows us how to be kind and loving and joyful and gracious. And as we saw at the end of Sunday school, how to love our enemies. God's word shows us this. The Son of God portrays this as an example perfectly for us in the New Testament. So notice how this person is being attacked in verse 107. And 110, laying snares, severely afflicted, and he's crying out to God, and he says, but I am not straying from your precepts. Even if your precepts lead me into a trap, and for Daniel, it did. Daniel was told not to pray to anybody but the king, Darius, and Daniel says, I got to pray to God. I'm not praying to Darius. Darius can't help me like God can. (laughs) So... I'm praying to God still. And the wicked laid a trap for Daniel. He walked right into it, and he was trapped. And he's like, I don't care if I'm trapped. And he's in his late 70s, early 80s, at least, at this time. And he gets thrown into a lion's den. And God was with him there. A wonderful example of how God's word is not worth turning from. And because of that, after you've seen God's word help you day in and day out with all kinds of affliction, you're going to cry out like verse 112, I incline my heart to perform your statutes. I keep turning my heart toward your word forever. I'm going to keep doing this. No one's turning me away from God's word. Verse 113. I'll give you the notes here. This person is loving, which we could say loving is verse 97 as well. He's loving God's law, and he is hopeful. Loving and hopeful. But he starts with hate. All right, let's verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law, which is not double-minded. It's singular. Verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live. And let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you disregard like dross. 
Psalm 1 says, like chaff. We would say today, like dust, garbage. 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. We could put fearful here as well, as this section ends with fearing God. It's pretty clear that the psalmist has no fear of the wicked, of the afflictions that the wicked can cause. He just is afraid of disobeying God. He loves God. He loves the law of God. We saw that in verse 97. We see it again here in verse 113. You'll see this. I I don't think I put it on a slide, but in verse 116, this idea of shame comes up multiple times in this psalm. Oh, let let me not be put to shame in my hope. The world is constantly trying to shame us for following God's word, for standing on God's statutes and precepts and rules and commandments. And as we testify of the, God's word's benefit to us, they mock us. They scorn. We should expect this. It hasn't ever changed from uh, Cain on. Those who love God, though, don't care what the wicked thinks. Those who love God care what God thinks. And really, only what God thinks. And tell, God tells us what He thinks in His Word. And because, it, and when you and I love God's Word, and we tremble in fear of God, verse 120, and we're afraid of His judgments, then and only then will we have hope. Look at verse 114 I hope in your Word. In verse 116, let me not be put to shame in my hope, because my hope is in the Word and in the person, character of God. So, loving God's Word and hopeful. And finally, on this slide, serving and convinced. The older you get in life, the more you're convinced of things that don't work and things that do work. I am convinced that I cannot drive my car 20,000 miles between oil changes. I was taught that by my dad, by my grandfather, and um, I haven't been on the side of the road, thankfully, because I've (laughs) neglected their, their wisdom. But I've heard other mechanics who have uh, seen this and they say, change your oil and uh, other, other wise uh, things to help your car run. Verse 121, there, you'll see serving here. Uh, you'll see the word servant twice. And this psalmist is convinced of, of things here. I have done, verse 121, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant. Second time we see the word servant here. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. So I I lied three times. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Hate every false way. That sounds exactly like the end of 104, because it is. Serving, give to your servant. I'm serving you, God. I want to please you, God. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. I'm sitting at your feet to learn your statutes, to expect steadfast love and righteousness to come my way. And verse 125, I'm your servant. I'm serving you. I want to understand. 
so that I can know your testimonies, how to testify for you. What do other people who have testified about you, what does this mean? And I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. If Jesus looked at our hearts right now, would he see that we love his word more than money? Why do you work so much and meditate on how to work even more and how to make more and more and more money? I'm there with you. When things are tight, I'm thinking, all right, how am I going to make more money? But the psalmist here is convinced when we serve God, God allows us to understand life and he allows us to, to learn and to love his commandments so that we'll get to the place where we say, you know what? I love God's word more than making money. And he's convinced of this, that God's word is more precious than of gold. Yes, fine gold. The best gold you can get, God's word is better. He's convinced of that. Because of that, he's serving God, expecting God to help him in his trials, in his oppressors. Verses 129 to 136. He's enjoying life with God's word at the center as a priority, but he's also sad. We would not be accurate to the text if we just kept a positive view and if we wanted an, an, an encouraging message. And you come here, don't come to our church expecting encouragement all the time, okay? Because we can't. <laughs> because we have to be true to what God's word says. I can't make this up. I'll, I'll do my best to what you see on the screen is what you'll see in the passage, and it's a shorter version. I didn't write this. God wrote this, and he wants it to influence our lives 2,500 years after it was written, and it is. When your life and my life, God's word is a priority, you'll see an enjoyable life, a life that others want, but you also have sadness. Life is hard on a fallen planet, and we'll see what makes the psalmist sad here. Verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. When you see the phrase in the Old Testament, make your face shine upon me, your servant here, it's God smiling with approval. So when, when you can imagine that you and I are longing for God's word, loving God's word, obeying God's word, learning it, getting wise and understanding and joyful, we are enjoying life with God's word as the center of our life. And we're giving God the glory for God's word being the center of our life. And he is the reason that we're joyful. But when we enjoy life, we look around to people who aren't enjoying life. Do you ever know anyone that's really miserable? Uh, uh, yes. You ever talk to someone? Let's, let's say this this last week. Did you ever talk to someone this past week who was awfully miserable? I did a couple times. What is the common denominator of people who are miserable? They're not enjoying life. It's pretty simple. Verse End of verse 136, people do not keep your law. People don't obey God. And they blame God and us for being unloving. 
that you guys are the reason and my life is miserable. Really? And when you really think about it, and whenever you really analyze it, the reason someone is not enjoying life is because they don't keep God's law. They don't know God. They would disagree heartily with verse 129. God's testimonies are not wonderful to them. And therefore, their soul doesn't keep them. And then at the end of it, it says, people don't keep God's law. But in the psalmist here, someone who is walking with the Lord and is enjoying life personally, privately, consistently with this, look at the right side of our sheet up here. He is convinced, he's hopeful, he's joyful, he's wise, and he's steadfast. When you live this kind of life with God's Word at the center, and you compare your life with others whose life is a mess, it, could cause, it should cause you to be sad. And what's the psalmist doing here in 136? He's shedding streams of tears because people don't keep your law. And it's okay to watch the news. But when you watch the news and watch the misery in the world, Psalm 136 should inform how you interpret the news. Shed streams of tears for the grief and the sin and the destruction around the world that's happening. Why is there war? Why is there um, sexual slavery? Why is there... um, all kinds, uh, a border crisis, and many, many other atrocities that are going on, and abortion. Why is this happening? Why are wicked people getting away with sin, never facing judgment? They don't keep God's law. One day they will stand before God. Shed streams of tears for the wicked. And people who don't keep God's law. If, you have a par- if you're a parent of a child who has gone astray, shed streams of tears for them. When your kids don't keep God's law. All right, enjoying life, but also sad when God's word is a priority. We've got to keep moving here. Delighting and sure. He's delighting. I'm not going to have time to comment very much. We'll just read 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. If we were to put what God is like, or we would use the word righteous up there, because you saw righteous, 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 over and over again in this section. And righteousness is a sure standard. And whenever you and I look at God's righteous rules, God's righteous rules, and we look at the world and they're misinterpreting God's righteous rules and saying, there's something wrong with your Bible if your Bible doesn't approve of this lifestyle. No, 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 no. God's rules are righteous, convinced they're righteous. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. Nothing wrong with God's rules. We delight in them, and when we delight in them, we're convinced that they are right. And it keeps our life on a sure path. Verses 145 and following. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. My vo- Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose, for they are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord. And we just sang about nearer, still near. All your commandments are true. Long have I known 
from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. That's an excellent verse there, verse 152. I meditated on that verse this week. I'm like, what does that verse mean? It's a glorious verse. What do we see in 145 to 152? He is crying out to God the first part of this. It's not an easy life when God's word is the, is the focal point. You still live on a fallen planet with a sin nature and sin and Satan uh, and the world uh, tempting from every side. And yet, there's confidence here. Look at verse 152 again. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. God had a plan for the world, and part of God's plan is to give the world God's commandments. And the psalmist says here, this was part of God's plan forever, was that God was going to give His Word to us. This matches what we've already seen, that God has kept His Word forever and forever He will. So He is confident. Even though He's crying out, He's confident in God's Word. 153, look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. We get this idea of forever again. He is loving God's word. You see that over and over and over again. And because he's loving God's word, he's seeking him and crying out to him. And look at verse 158. I look at the faithless, those who aren't trusting in God's word and not obeying God's word. What does this cause this faithful, and this probably near the end of his life, he's looking back at how wonderful God's word has been to him, and how it's helped him, how he loves it even more. And he looks at people who have turned their back on God and his word, and he looks at them with disgust. Doesn't sound very loving, right? Would you ever go up to someone and say, you disgust me? Eh, that's a pretty strong rebuke. And if you were a strong friend with them, can I tell you why you disgust me? Because you don't keep God's commandments. It has nothing to do with personalities or a laugh or whatever people do that annoying you. No, this has nothing to do with petty things that causes us to have pet peeves or disgust. No, here is someone who does not trust or obey God. And when you and I try to have this priority of God's word, those who are faithless will disgust you. Verse 161, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood. So he's not just hating, he isn't just disgusted with other people's falsehood and, and um, faithlessness. He also hates his own, and we've seen that multiple times now. But I love your law, verse 164. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do, not, I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Fascinating section here. And um, he's obeying and he's peaceful. Verse 165, the last several years for me have been a very convicting verse. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. News doesn't make them stumble. People that don't like what you're doing with the COVID restrictions don't make you stumble. People's reactions to social justice issues, they don't make you stumble. Politics doesn't make you stumble. 
late at night when your sewer line backs up, happened this week, struggled a little <laughs> with that. If you're sitting on the side of the road with your car, can make you stumble. You don't know exactly how you're going to pay the higher electric bills or the heating oil bills. can make you stumble. But what's verse 165 say? Great peace, great peace have those who love your law. So if you don't have great peace, then what's the solution? Love the law. Love God's word. There's something wrong in our hearts when we don't have great peace because great peace have those who love your law. When other people can make you stumble easily and you fly off the handle and you are a mess for days, what's the solution? Love the law. Love God's word. When you stumble over the least little petty things, you don't love God's law. That verse convicted me, and I share that as a personal testimony, and I know that uh, many of you struggle, and we all struggle, but I, this verse is helpful to see that. And verse 168, another of my favorites of the section, I keep your precepts and your testimonies. Why? What motivates the psalmist to keep God's word? For all my ways are before you. God, you see everything, so I'm going to obey you. Well, that's simple. You know when I disobeyed and you disobeyed, especially like in the dark with your friends, in a group, and you thought, what? I can get away with this. Eh -eh. Bad thought always leads to bad things. Young people, you don't get away with anything. Why? Because all of your ways are before God. God is in the back seat when it's just you and your boyfriend. I hope that crowd might pick that up, Shirley. That was great. <laughs> Obeying and peaceful. And finally, last section, rejoicing and needy. You say, needy? Let's see how the psalm ends. We read it, okay? But we're going to read it again. 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. And then the final verse, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And that's how the psalm ends. I would like for it to end it with 168. But God has it end with 176. And I think our final word here is important. It doesn't matter how long you and I have been a Christian and how much the Word of God has been at the center of our lives for decade after decade after decade. You never outgrow your neediness of God's Word. No one gets too old, too wise, too consistent, too peaceful, too confident, too sure to not need God's word every day. And you can see that throughout the whole psalm, but especially here where he ends with, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Sounds like David after he sins with Bathsheba. Man, I've gone astray, God. Seek your servant. I don't forget you. And every time we go astray, God's word Reminds us of who God is, and He will seek us, He will find us, and He expects us to repent and obey, rejoicing and needy. A couple questions and we're done. Are you as convinced as the psalmist that you need God's Word? 
Are you pretty convinced with Psalm 119 that whoever wrote this, they needed God? They needed God's Word. They had affliction. They had internal struggles. They had oppressors. They had princes going after them. And they needed God's Word. They struggled with all kinds of emotions, and they needed God's Word. Are you convinced? Hopefully, read it again. Be convinced you need God's Word as much as they did. Back to our first question that we opened with. Do you love God and His Word more than anything? Or does anything in your life cause you to love God a little bit less than that thing, that person? And it can be a number of things. Let God the Holy Spirit convince you this day that yes, you do, or no, there are some things in your life that are more important than God. See, loving God is an Old Testament and New Testament concept. And when we do love God, the priority of the Word of God comes, I would say naturally, but it comes as a result of loving God. That's why Jesus, when questioning Peter, says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Because I don't want you to be a fisherman, Peter. I want you to feed sheep. He's talking about pastoring, evangelizing, helping the early church to grow. And Peter does a very good job of that because he's loving God in the book of Acts. What would your home or our church look like if we all loved God's word like Psalm 119? I'll end with let you think about that. You can think about it this week. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would show us how to hate false ways, how to repent of our sin, how to love your word more than anything. I pray for those in our church that this is definitely true of them, that you would use them in the lives of those who are struggling to love your word, those who are, do not have God's word as a priority at all in their lives. And they're really unstable. They're really fearful and anxious, depressed, despairing. And you give us hope. You give us opportunities. And I pray that you would connect us in, in our church here with those who need help, with those who can provide help according to your word. Thank you so much for your word. Your word really is wonderful. I pray that we would spend more time in it this week. I wouldn't even count the time that we spend because we just love it so much. In Jesus' name, amen.